Welcome to 30 Minutes on 91.3 KXCI Tucson. I'm Amanda Shager. Tucson has a new poet laureate. T.C. Tolbert is the first trans-queer poet laureate in the United States history. In honor of this occasion, Blackfeet tribal member and writer Bill Wetzel convened this panel entitled Ideas for Change, a conversation with Tucson Poet Laureate T.C. Tolbert in April 2017. The conversation was moderated by Casa Libre founder and executive director and poet Kristen E. Nelson at Revolutionary Grounds Books and Coffee and hosted by Blackfeet tribal member and writer Bill Wetzel. The evening begins with introductions and remarks by Bill Wetzel and poet Logan Phillips, followed by an intimate discussion between Kristen Nelson and Tucson Poet Laureate T.C. Tolbert. Well, thank you everybody for coming. My name is Bill Wetzel. I am, I'm Scott B. Picani, which means I'm a Blackfeet from Montana. Today we are down to serious business. Uh, we got the Tucson Poet Laureate T.C. Tolbert in the house. Everybody. And we have the icon, the legendary Kristen Nelson moderating. But first, I would like to uh, remind you all that you are on indigenous land. And I've been patting myself on the back ever since I came up with the idea for this event. T.C. Tolbert as a new Tucson Poet Laureate is really a big deal. Uh, When I first heard the news, I actually, the first thing I thought of is, I thought about the mafia and more on that in a second. Uh, The next thing I thought was that it was absolutely perfect. It it was almost too perfect. TC is a, a great person, a great poet, and uh, but TC is also a grassroots organizer and a trans queer poet. And TC doesn't know his place. Uh, TC kind of has a big mouth, and I knew TC would be speaking out on issues that were important to all of us, to uh, the little guys, so to speak, and to people in the LGBTQ Q community. Uh, and that kind of thing, it makes politicians really, really nervous. But uh, back to the mafia. And you know, they have this saying that in the mafia that if somebody is like one of you, they're like one of your crew, that they're a good fella. And there's also this concept that if a member of your crew becomes a made man of a family, that all of a sudden, like nobody can mess with you that you actually have a voice to speak for you, that you have a voice that will stick up for you, and they have some weight behind you. And TC is a good fella, and TC is a member of our crew. And uh, when I first heard it, I was like, oh, holy shit, they let one of us in the door. And they might live to regret it, but uh, you know, TC and Kristen and me and all of you, we should all give them hell until they do, so. With that, I'm going to have Logan Phillips. Uh, he's going to introduce Kristen Nelson. Logan Phillips is a bilingual, bilingual poet, performer, and DJ who tours his art throughout the U.S., Latin America, and beyond. Phillips currently serves as the co-director of Spoken Futures, Inc., whose programs include the Tucson Youth Poetry Slam. He is the author of the poetry collection Sonoran Strange, and also quite possibly the coolest man in Tucson. Thank you for that introduction, and now for the introduction. 
If you don't already know Kristen, I'm sorry for you. Um, but the good news is that we'll remedy that tonight. So Kristen, and uh, there's so many things I could say about Kristen. And uh, she is so many things to so many people. Uh, so I'll just read her bio. Kristen Elisa Nelson is the author of Sometimes I Gets Lost and is Grateful for Noises in the Dark. That was a dancing girl this year. And Write Dad on Unthinkable Creatures 2012. She has published creative work in the Feminist Wire, Denver Quarterly, Drunken Boat, Tarpaulin Sky Journal, Glitter Tongue, Trick House, Imposter Review, Cranky, and Everyday Genius, among others. She is founder and executive director of Casa Libre in La Solana, as well as the program coordinator for the UA Institute of IGBT Studies. To that, I would add <clears throat> that she is an instigator, a public intellectual in the best sense of those terms, and above all, a writer, an inquisitive mind, an empathetic human. Her writing has for years now surprised me, it has taunted me, and it has helped me articulate the unsaid. We're lucky to have here tonight, have her here tonight, as Tucson is lucky to have her in general, and as Tucson is lucky to have those who she has convinced to move here, of which there are many, as Tucson is lucky to have T.C. Tolbert, and is lucky for all of us to be able to have spaces like this. Please join me in welcoming Kristen. Well, I did have somebody to introduce TC tonight. Oh, but I thought the, you did that. But they could not <laughs> make it, so they decided to send me uh, a statement to read on their behalf. Uh, and this is from uh, our good friend Stephanie Balzer. And uh, here's her statement. Here's what I would say about TC in absentia, which provides me the opportunity to get a little sloppy and emotional. TC is someone I listen to, learn from, share deeply with, and admire greatly. We are two Capricorns who like to discuss deeply our curiosities, discoveries, triumphs, sorrow, and dreams. And often while we hike up a mountain or otherwise move our bodies, if you, and if you have a friend like TC, you know how special this is and how fortunate I am. But tonight is about you and a public dialogue I want to tell you that TC takes on challenges with a seriousness and dedication like none other. His spiritual, intellectual, and emotional insight and learning are what I admire most, and what he offers to the world in abundance. Recently, TC stayed for a few days at my house with his partner Rosie and their two dogs. One night we got Alguero Canelo and talked, and then TC returned to his studies to be an ENT. And I tried to watch Homeland, but gave up and went to bed. It was an average night, nothing remarkable, but that's where true beauty lies, in the best average nights of friendship and life, parallel and intersected. The amazing thing is this, TC can nurture relationships like this, and well with so many people. I am only one of those who count TC among the best of friends, who connects with him sincerely and authentically. I am gushing, I know, all of the adjectives, I'm grateful. I hope you enjoyed the discussion and all the ways this community is blessed by everyone present tonight. Kristen and TC in conversation, Bill, an enthusiastic and talented community organizer. Sorry, I agree, so. <laughs> and you, the audience, eager to learn and embrace improvement and growth with you in spirit, Stephanie Balzer. And with that, I'll turn it over to these two. I like this. Steph's not gushy. 
Hi everybody, thanks hey. for being here. So I should start out by saying TC is my chosen family. He's my bro. Um, and so there's a lot of intimacy that you might sense here because we are family. Um, I feel like I should disclose that before we start our conversation because if you want to know about TC's role specifically as Tucson's new poet laureate, I direct you to this beautiful interview that Maria Herreras did in the Tucson Weekly, Hannah Enser's gorgeous photograph. There's also a wonderful blog on the Arts Foundation for Tucson in Southern Arizona, previously TPAC and also at the University of Arizona Poetry Center blog. There's some really detailed information about where TC wants to take this position, what he plans on doing in terms of youth programming in Tucson and, and moving that forward and collaborating with that. But tonight we have this unique opportunity for two very close friends to share a few moments of vulnerability in public. If you've read TC's work or spent any time with him, you know that he values being open and vulnerable. It's kind of his whole jam. This conversation may touch on more run-of-the-mill things, but we plan to focus on the topics of masculinity, sobriety, the body, and TC's new poems in progress. So if that's not what you were looking for, <laughs> I do hope you'll no, stick no. around. I hope, I hope that this will be a really interesting evening for all of us. So I'm going to ask TC some questions on those topics. So let's start with the body. You've been pretty open about how a car accident has affected your body your mobility, your ability to write, and even function in the world. And as a result of that and some other studies, you've decided to do some EMT training, but not necessarily become an EMT. So can you talk more about the experience of the car accident, how that's influenced your work, but also how that's influenced your new course of study? Sure. That'll be easy questions. <laughs> <laughs> So just quick background, about a year ago, I was in a, I was in a cab in LA and the cab T-boned someone else. <laughs> and it was, aside from the injury part, which I'll get to in a second, it was, there was also something incredibly beautiful and stilling about the moment of impact or actually the few moments right after impact because I'd just been riding in this car. I really thought I was only going like five blocks. The whole reason I was in the cab was because I'd bought a bunch of books. And I was like, ooh, I'm going to take care of my body. And I had his car. <laughs> yeah, and she had my car. <laughs> and it was just that sort of quiet, I'm riding through a big city that I don't know cab ride. And then I see us heading into a car and I yelled. And it was like my body or my voice came it, it, it sort of jumped out of me, it flew out of me in a way that was so uncontrolled. And after we made impact, I just remember this driver who had never, I'd really spoken to be like, I'm going to this place. And he was like, cool, that was it, right? And suddenly he's holding his heart and I was like, I love this man. And it was so like sacred. There was something so sacred about that moment. So. I'm still sort of carrying that with me and trying to make sense of it. And the frustration of in that moment, I also displaced like four ribs. <laughs> and so, which I kind of thought mm, with a lot of hubris, I'm sure that that was not a big deal. <laughs> and that I could just be like, oh, it's fine. I'll just get, get over that real fast. And my partner can attest to what a long process that's been. <laughs> 
And the biggest thing is that it completely sort of unraveled my identity as a writer because I could no longer write, like could not sit at a computer, could not hold a, a pen for very long, just couldn't be upright like this because this was all unstable. As it turns out, you use your ribs a lot. <laughs> Who knew? Um, <laughs> I had no idea. Um, and so I've been through a gender transition what feels like a thousand years ago. I didn't feel like I was a stranger to not recognizing my body or not recognizing myself in my body or how my body could relate to me or the world. But this was a, a whole new level because it also separated me from the way that I made sense of the world. And it also meant that my, I couldn't do teaching because then you have to sit at a computer and you have to grade, right? It sort of changed, it took it all away. And I'm a pretty active person. So it was, it really, it was just kind of like, oh, that was cute. You thought you knew who you were. <laughs> um, you thought you'd had all that figured out. And so it brought me back to a place of, I mean, back, I say back, like I'd ever been there, to a place of, of real s stillness and fear, like utter sort of, I don't know who I am or going to become kind of fear. And it also, moved poetry from the place that it it had moved to in my life which was i guess kind of a it's hard to say that poetry could ever be a career but it was definitely my work and it ripped it out of that sphere and moved it back to a very spiritual practice and so i i moved into writing haiku because that was kind of all i could hold space for in my brain and i would speak into my phone so I'm like laying in bed, watching the birds and feeling very jealous of them. Um, <laughs> and also kind of in love with them, like in love with these things that I'd seen all around me forever, but never really taken the time to look at. And I would text them, text these haikus one line at a time to a student who was also struggling with writing. And sort of through this six month period of me just saying, that tree is awesome. No, you know, it's sort of like over and over and over again. <laughs> See me do this a lot. Um, it, it just became prayer. So it's, it's changed me in ways that I, not just my physical self, but my, my emotional and spiritual landscape. Yeah, in ways that I couldn't foresee at all. And probably wouldn't have signed up for, but now I'm okay with it. And what about EMT stuff? Oh yeah, sorry. So, so the EMT stuff, I mean, I, I've worked in wilderness for, um, for about 15 years now. I lead wilderness trips for Outward Bound. Tiny plug, if you know any youth who are queer and or who have experienced a significant death loss, I'm doing two different courses this summer that deal with those things, side, side note. But so through that, I had wilderness medicine training and in that moment of the accident, I just experienced my own body's vulnerability mm -hmm. and realized I don't even have the language for it. Like, I don't even know what the things are that moved. Mm -hmm. And I'm a writer, like, what, what am I doing, <laughs> you know? So in the fall, I took, so this was about six months after the accident, I signed up for an anatomy and physiology class. And part of that, I think, certainly in retrospect, I didn't know why I was doing it at the time, but was, a, I think, a way to make peace with my body. Mm -hmm. For years, I had been asking, after I'd seen a friend in a really bad climbing accident, I would sort of meet medical people, mm -hmm. like on planes, and be like, okay, I have a question for you. 
<laughs> is the body more resilient or more fragile than we believe? And every person in the medical field would say to me, more resilient, hands down. Hands down. And I was like, really? You're all so convinced of this. And so I feel like I got to experience some of that and I wanted to extend some of that skill and that training. And yeah, I have no idea if I'll be in, I will definitely get my certification. I've passed all my, my tests so far, <laughs> but I'm kind of a nerd, but um, yeah, I don't know if that's a job I could do or want to do, but it's definitely information and skill that is stunning. And I will add one thing, which is Marie Howe says that if you're ever in grief and you don't know what to do, learn something. And so that's what I do every time, which has put me in a lot of classes I didn't know would be in. <laughs> you are listening to Ideas for Change, a conversation with Tucson Poet Laureate T.C. Tolbert, moderated by Kristen Nelson on 30 Minutes, 91.3 KXCI Tucson. Okay, I have a follow-up question. Great. Today is Akila Oliver's birthday. Akila Oliver, an incredible New York-based poet who passed away about five years ago. She taught at Naropa, she taught at the University of Denver, she taught at various community places in New York. She had a question. She had a question that she would ask of so many people she met, and several of her students and friends and collaborators have continued this question, which is, what are the limits of the body? So that's my next question. What are the limits of the body? <laughs> there's no one answer. I know there's not, but I'd like to give a decent one. Um, <laughs> I mean, I guess what, what that called to mind was Adrian Rich, who says, war is a failure of imagination. And so when I think about what the limits of the body are, I think the limits are what, it, like the, they're the limits of our imagination, right? Like they're, they're how we sort of fail to imagine it could be something else. Yeah, I, I mean, I don't feel like that's particularly unique to my way of thinking or, or even, um, yeah, unique in general. And I, I can see the sort of more logos-driven answer, like, yes, there actually are limits to the body. <laughs> and I think those are true, but I mean, I guess what I would say is I grew up, so I grew up in Tennessee in the southeast corner in a place called Hickson, and um, and I went to church at a Pentecostal church where we spoke in tongues and did faith healing and things like this. And um, my granddad was diagnosed with um, cancer in his lymph nodes, like when I was young. And and I remember us laying hands on him, and then him going back to the doctor, and then he didn't have cancer anymore. Right. So it's like the logos or, you know, like the logic is like, yeah, that's cute. That doesn't happen. <laughs> um, and I don't know what made it happen. I can't speak, you know, theologically to that. But I really do think it's our sort of failure of imagination that limits pretty much everything. That's a good answer. Adrian Rich. Mm. Yeah. Okay. I'm uh, gonna... Can I jump in? Yeah. Y'all. No. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yeah. It's a little bit weird 
to be doing this. Yeah. This is weird. <laughs> right? This is really weird. It's interesting. Okay, I'm just saying, if at any point you're like, yo, <laughs> this is weird, I'm annoyed, I want to talk about something else, just holler. We can totally do maybe something. Maybe I should say, I am loving Okay. Oh, great. Well, it's bro, I appreciate that. But I'm just saying, for real, we can spice it up. But go ahead. That's true. Let's talk about masculinity. <laughs> that relates. <laughs> okay, so I want to know how have cultural expectations of gender changed for you as your presentation has shifted from more feminine to more masculine in the world? I mean, it, it's cliche. Like, I, I totally didn't want, like, in some ways I didn't want to believe it in my, like, gender and women's studies classes, like in undergrad. Um, what do you mean men have different experiences of the world? You know, like, I'll show them. Um, and it's like, oh no, that's true. So, I mean, I think, I think, um, for instance, I think my uh, success, if you will, like in, in poetry land, um, and even related to like Tucson Poet Laureate and stuff, is I think it's directly tied to the fact that I'm a passing white trans guy. Like I think if I were not passing or if I were not white and not, like I don't particularly look in the mirror and be like, ooh, I'm attractive, but I know that I fall into certain categories of like acceptable and like whatever. Um, You're good looking. But you know what I'm saying? Like I'm, no, I'm, I, know I have no saying. interest in calling myself that, <laughs> but I, I know that I fit into certain expectations, right? And norms. And I have seen a direct correlation between the sort of respect, the, the uh, hmm. inclusion. Yeah, inclusion, but like steps up a ladder or something that I've gotten since transition mm -hmm. and in particular passing. I mean, I would say I'm actually not more masculine now than I was before I started to presentation to the world. I, well, and I think the way that I am is just through facial hair. <clears throat> like I was much more masculine before I started testosterone because I was constantly trying to like project masculinity and be like, yo, like see me, you know? And now I'm like, oh girl, like. It's like I want to sort of just soften all of that. Like I, I have no interest in sort of taking on all of that. I, and I think, you know, if I can go off the question just a little bit, I mean, I, I certainly ex experience a difference in how the world responds to me, but I also experience this deep dissonance in how I experience the world. Because mm -hmm. I still experience myself as a female body. Like, and I spent 30 years living and walking the planet as a girl and as a woman. So I walk through the world and I'm like confused a lot of the time like when, when people are responding to me in, in certain ways. And I still look at, in particular, if I can just call on some stereotypes here, some, uh, some like dyke presentation like people who present as dykes, I totally am like, <laughs> and they're like, <laughs> you can't do the, the lesbian nod. You don't get right? the lesbian nod. I know it's so weird. I'm like, 
<laughs> girl, I'm here. Like, no, no, you're not. <laughs> and that's just like this tiny thing, right? Like what I'm really getting at is walking through the world as a woman, people think they can reach to you and touch you. Your body is public property. And some of that is nice and lovely and like, I miss certain kinds of hugs and tenderness from strangers. Like I, I love that. And there are lines, <laughs> lots of lines, people, that I feel like people who have never walked through the world with a female body need to do some work to understand because it is different. <laughs> and now that I walk through the world with this body, I also understand the distance with which male presenting people are expected to have. Like, don't touch me. Certainly men with other men, there's, there's none of that, right? So I truly have never experienced loneliness like I've experienced on this side of testosterone. Never experienced public sort of just distance. It's gross. I mean, it's, it's heartbreaking and really, really sad. Yeah, so, so I don't know if that, <laughs> but it's, it's interesting. But I remember this moment. So a young woman had an accident, like right on 4th Ave. And like I said, I had some wilderness medicine training. And so a lot of my students came to me. They're like, TC, will you come help? This woman is hurt. And so I come around the corner. She's young. She's like 15 or 16. And she had actually fallen. She was climbing a fence and had fallen and it had impaled her. Ooh almost in the ass. <laughs> she was not in good, she was hurting. <laughs> but the point is that I got to her and I had been on testosterone for like a year and a half at that point. So for me, I was very much like, no one sees, no one's calling me sir, like any of that in my mind, even though people were. And so I leaned down, like I said, I'm from the South. And I was like, hey, sweetie, how you doing? Like, okay, let's talk. And I was immediately like touching her you know, just like all the like Southern woman ways that I was trained to interact with people. And the look on her face, I mean, I saw it immediately. She was just like, like, get your pants off of me, creeper, you know, like, and I was like, these are, these are man's hands now, right? Like, and not only that, they're white man's hands and she probably reads me as straight and oh my God, like, you know, like, what is happening? Like, I've had that happen actually in multiple different scenarios where I've sort of thought, well, I'm bringing this history of how I was raised and, and these ways of communicating and that is deeply unacceptable in this presentation, whether because it's threatening or because it's just it doesn't align with the expectation of this stuff. This is interesting. I think we're doing a great job. Thank you. <laughs> Thank okay. You. This is actually how we talk to each other in private. It's really true. We're like, you're doing so good. You Ask, look at these questions you're asking. <laughs> look at your answers. You're so smart. You're really good. You're really good. <laughs> we'll have to leave it there. You've been listening to a discussion entitled Ideas for Change, conversation with Tucson Poet Laureate T.C. Tolbert. In April 2017, Blackfeet tribal member and writer Bill Watzel convened this panel to highlight Tucson's new Poet Laureate. T.C. Tolbert is the first trans-queer Poet Laureate in United States history. The conversation was moderated by Casa Libre founder and executive director and poet 
Kristen E. Nelson at Revolutionary Grounds Books and Coffee. This has been part one of a two-part series. Thank you for listening to 30 Minutes on 91.3 KXCI Tucson. I'm Amanda Schager.